everyone, and welcome to our show, Let's Finish Cancer, where we bring you the brightest cancer experts and compassionate cancer navigators. Our goal is to make you stronger at a time you might feel at your weakest and to empower you to make the best decisions for you and your family. You'll hear from us about the latest in technology and treatment options, stories of patients and survivors, doctors that see you as more than a cancer diagnosis, and a whole person approach to cancer care. We want to be on your journey with you and know that at times it can be bumpy, but we're here and we want to help you forward. I'm your host, Mary Renoff, and here with me today is Dr. Jitin Patel, a specialist in critical care medicine and pulmonology from the Providence Pulmonary and Sleep Disorder Clinic in Spokane, Washington. Before we start, I want our listeners to know that the information provided during this program is for educational purposes only. You should always consult a healthcare provider if you have any questions regarding a medical condition or treatment. So let's get started by welcoming Dr. Patel. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'm going to start you off with a super easy one, or maybe it's not actually easy now that I think about it, but I know that you are a pulmonologist rather than an oncologist, and this is a show about cancer. So talk to me about what your job and your role is when it comes to treating lung cancer patients. We're a pivotal role as a pulmonologist. We're pretty much in the continuum of lung cancer at the diagnosis stage. And in some parts as an interventional pulmonologist, also to certain treatments for a certain type of cancers within the endobronchial airway or within the lung tumor. If there's a tumor within the airway itself, we also tend to manage that as well. But, you know, lung cancers more often than not are related to tobacco-related lung injury or disease. And so we do a lot of overlap preceding diseases as well, like COPD, asthma, reactive airway problems, uh, occupational exposures. Uh, there are certain risk factors for lung cancer that we deal with as well. And, we also deal with tobacco cessation and lung cancer screening. So there's a whole gamut of preceding pre-lung cancer disease that we deal with. And so we are usually in the primordial stages of diagnosis. We also are involved in tissue acquisition through bronchoscopy, uh, through targeted means where we could do navigational GPS bronchoscopy where during my earlier years of training, we could only grasp tissue within the airway that you could see. Now we're getting out to the pleural surface is, is about 80 generations beyond the immediate primary airway. Um, we're also involved in clinical trials. Um, as we've realized and under, understand better now that tumors have their own genetic makeup and there are um, treatments available that target these mutations within the cancer itself. And we assist the oncologists who are cancer treatment doctors um, and acquire that tissue for additional genetic analysis through also bronchoscopy as well as sampling the lymph nodes. Lymph nodes are a key part of the diagnosis element because it helps us stage a patient. So we're involved in the staging of cancers as well. Staging means is a cancer at point one or is it at point four? Is it beyond the chest? And so we're able to assist the oncologist in acquiring them. We also help the surgeons by sometimes targeting the tumor so that we label it or with a tattoo or a traditional marker, which allows the surgeons to target and cut out just the tumor itself through a robotic means. Um, it's really changed since I grew up through my days of residency and fellowship. It's really exciting. And there's been some magnificent changes in the past 10 years that have allowed us to play a bigger role in thoracic oncology. It really sounds like it. And it sounds like there's so much innovation and in technology that I don't I don't even know how you guys keep up with it, to be honest with you. But <laughs> when when we were talking prior to this, I know that 
one of the things you do is photodynamic therapy, which I was fascinated. I went down the rabbit hole digging into this the other night. But tell me a little bit, or for those listeners, what does that mean? Well, photodynamic therapy, it's a two-step treatment in which a drug is infused into a patient and then this photosensitizer, it targets a specific disease tissue of whatever interest. So in this case, it's a a tumor within the airway or um, within the airway extending further out. And then you apply an illumination, uh, a light source um, that's visible to you uh, and to where the drug is and it destroys that target tissue. Um, It was primarily uh, used for treatment of uh, cancers and precancers. It's been used in robust uh, head and neck tumors, uh, lingual cancers, esophageal cancers, um, but we're finding utility in the parenchyma, meaning out into the lung tree. And so it's wherever I can inject this medicine, it disseminates throughout the body and it targets tumor cells. It's based at the cell level and part of our metabolism um, utilizes porphyrins and these porphyrins, they're large molecules that sit in our little engines of our cells called the mitochondria. And this is part of the uh, pathway. There's a certain number of these things that break up proteins or enzymes that are uh, formed within these within the engine. And when you apply this medicine and then uh, provide a targeted light source, it kills the tumor wherever that medication um, is found. So obviously it goes systemically it could be in the skin um so we're we're very careful but we i guess we could talk about that a little bit <laughs> so i'm i'm trying to picture this in my head it's i'm i'm honestly and truthfully i'm picturing like a sci-fi movie you inject something and then you like you it's almost i don't know how to explain it like a little thing in your body and you're it's getting attracted to the light that's how it knows where to go to target well it disseminates systemically so it's everywhere in the body and then there's some let's say preclusions, but with certain, um, we have to have patients, you know, there are certain safety measures. And so because it's a photosensitive drug, meaning that it activates with a light source, patients are asked to mask, wear glasses, wear long sleeve shirts, turtlenecks, face coverings. um, So you don't activate the drug in illumination like um, daylight or fluorescent light in a room or a lamp, a reading lamp. They actually have to stay isolated in dark rooms for a good two weeks uh, during that process. So infusion, let's say a treatment day is a Monday. A patient will come in on a Friday afternoon and have a certain this medication, the photomer, um, in, injected into them through an IV over several minutes. And then they allow 48 hours for it to uh, move throughout our body. And now they're in isolation where they're wearing head masks, turtlenecks, sunglasses, gloves. It must be, it's very difficult during the summer to do these procedures. But anyhow, they appear for the Monday morning bronchoscopy. Knowing where the tumor is, let's say it's in the left lung, just beyond the windpipe as it divides into left and right. It goes to the left side, and my target tumor is in the airway. So I take this application whilst the patient's asleep through a bronchoscope. There's a little tunnel. I take this catheter that has at the end of it a little light bulb. And I take that light bulb that has a certain wavelength and target the light source towards the tumor, which we know that this medication attracts itself to. And you then 
basically and very effectively, uh, this medication absorbs this visible wavelength or light source, even though it's energy, and it causes a chemical reaction. And it actually uses the patient's own oxygen to cause what they call free radicals and have tumor lytic effects within the tumor. So essentially, you activate the drug. It's a, it's a chemical reaction that then causes tumor breakdown from within. This is, I mean, it truly sounds very like a sci-fi movie, but it sounds amazing. I is it? I know you're using it for lung cancer. Has it been used for other kinds of cancer? Or is it effective for everything? Uh, not for everything. There has good data, uh, robust data in the head and neck cancer world with ear, ear, nose, and throat doctors with lingual cancers, tonsil cancers, upper airway. Uh, that's where it sat for about um, 10 to 12 years. Interest came about in esophageal cancers in the late early 2000s, and now it's moved into beyond just the oropharynx, but into the airway itself. Uh, there's been some good data regarding its use in um, other approved, FDA-approved uh, conditions like actinic keratosis, um, basal cell cancer, superficial, uh, squamous cancers, and situ. Um, there's been some off-label use and reports, case reports in the series on active vulgaris as well. And even some subtle stuff on photo rejuvenation. Are there any like um, side effects that people would have to worry about? Yeah, there are some short and long-term adverse effects. You know, it's a it's a photosensitive uh, therapy, so in light areas, uh, you know, you're applying a topical light source within the tumor itself, but it does disseminate on your skin. It can have irreversible um, skin exposure. It's like a bad suntan that doesn't go away. Sometimes you can get localized erythematous reactions and tingling sensation or burning sensation. Um, sterile pustules can happen. Um, you know, the majority of the time, it's a non-thermal energy source and it's very well tolerated. Pain control, like most oncologies, uh, we work closely with, with lidocaine and morphine and uh, topical anesthetics, cooling, distraction methods work just fine for those. As far as during the procedure itself, uh, it's not a painful procedure at all. It's done under an anesthetic, so patients are not awake for the procedure afterwards because the tumor is eroding itself and essentially dying off because the tumor lytic effects, they are expectorating, which means intent to cough. They're coughing up tumor. Sounds rather uncomfortable, but actually patients are relieved because now airways are repatented, reopened because of the process of how the tumor starts to eat away from within. And the body has an amazing way to heal itself, so it can control bleeding as well. So it's not necessarily an adverse effect, but it's not uncommon that they will cough up a little bit of blood during the process. Um, they do have sore throat because it does require a couple interventions, sometimes up to four or five, and that requires an anesthetic with an endotracheal tube. So rather than the actual technique or the procedure, sometimes the intubation itself can leave them a little... Um, leaves laryngeal tenderness or laryngitis or sore throat. Um, otherwise, it's well tolerated. When you compare this type of a treatment to a, a more traditional chemotherapy or radiation, does this take longer? Does it, are there more sessions? Is it pretty equitable? Well, from real world experience, the standard care is for early tumors, if the patient's a surgical candidate, they should proceed with standards of care and best practices for the region, which would be resection or cutting out the tumor via a surgeon. If they are not amenable to 
uh, surgery, then the standard of care is chemotherapy radiation. And now over the last 10 years, we've got gene mutations that we've identified and you can go targeted therapy with immune therapy in the form of a pill or an infusion every fortnight or once a day or every four weeks. PDT has a role in what I believe adjuvant treatment path. So you can have a cancer that potentially was not resectable, could not be cut out, but they can undergo a couple cycles of photodynamic therapy and downstage the tumor to the point it can be then cut out. Um, for There's a study that's come out more recently, prospectively looking at what we call all cumbers for all type of cancers who underwent unresectable treatment, which means chemo radiation with and without PDT. And the five-year survival was spectacularly better with the PDT chemo radiation group than the standard of care chemo radiation only. So as a standalone therapy, um, there are certain diseases I do treat uh, with photodynamic therapy where I, uh, surgery is not ideal. What we call is, is you can have benign growths within the airway, benign meaning won't take you away, but it causes a nuisance. And uh, let's say a polyp, for example, um, an abnormal overgrowth of normal tissue in the airway can cause an obstruction. And under a microscope, it's called a carcinoid. So photodynamic has been used quite nicely in this role where if you, the unfortunate polyp or this carcinoid growth was at the, let's say, proximal closer portion to the takeoff to the left lung, you would have to remove the whole left lung. Whereas here, we can locally treat it with a light source and the chemical photosensitizer. And after two treatments, that polyp regresses and then you regain patency of the airway. Whereas before, chemo radiation was not an is not an option for this type of benign tumor. And surgery is rather aggressive to take a lot of normal tissue for such a small uh, benign problem that unfortunately grows at the root of a, an airway. Remember, an airway, our lungs are a hollow tree. And so there are a bunch of string balloons in series and in parallel. If you blow up a string balloon and you nod it off and you hold that string balloon in the middle, all the air displaces to the left and right of your and my hands. If you unknot the balloon, all the air on one side of the balloon dissipates, the other side is inflated. So the same thing happens within the airway. If you have a growth, whether benign or malignant, everything downstream of that growth within the airway collapses that lung. So there's a lot of lung that's preserved distal to the tumor, if you can uh, picture this. So with the local therapies, you're able to regain patency by reinflating the balloon by causing regression of the tumor and therefore allowing the balloon or the lung to re-expand. Um, I could go on and on. Uh, uh, PDTs provide such a dynamic, yeah. what we call neoadjuvant or adjuvant in addition to uh, therapy. And the outcomes have been really, really great. Um, it's novel in the sense it's not offered at large centers or uh, many centers, I apologize, many centers. Um, is a technique sort of isolated to more academic centers and cancer institutes. Uh, I've been fortunate to have some great mentors that taught me uh, the process and the actual engineering but, part of it was pretty yeah. amazing. The story behind photodynamic therapy um, itself is uh, an interesting topic, uh, just how it, you know, has been used in actinic keratosis and skin disorders to now moving into the oncology world. It's just profound. 
Well, I was actually, I was just going to ask you what kind of like education or training or how much, you know, how, do you have to have practical hours before you can do it? What does it look like for, say, another physician who wants to try doing this procedure? Um, well, it is a painless procedure, but it does require some technical uh, training. Um, I, through my postgraduate years, uh, you know, I guess now I was just graduated as a pulmonologist. Now I'm a third into my practice or practice years, and now considered interventional pulmonologist. Most graduates and fellowships now have to uh, do an additional year of training, uh, what we call sub-fellowship or sub-sub-specialty training in interventional pulmonology to do some of this advanced uh, techniques because we were very good diagnosticians. Now there's a bit of an overlap with diagnostics as well as treatment paths, and this would be a treatment modality. So. It's additional year of training in fellowship after uh, three to four years of residency, additional three years of pulmonary critical care training, and then an add-on year of sub-fellowship to develop and understand uh, advanced techniques of bronchoscopy and PDT falls in that realm. Well, I think you, you touched a little bit on this when you were talking about kind of the different types of, of patients that you have, but are there, are there types of cancer within the lung cancer family or types of patients that this therapy works best for, or are there types of patients that can't actually qualify for this type of, of therapy? PDT has been utilized in lung cancer, specifically non-small cell variety. Uh, of non-small cell variety, there's about a dozen cell varietals. Uh, majority of uh, PDT patients are those of squamous cell or adenocarcinomas of the proximal airway. It's also used in carcinoid. And the reason why it's sort of standard care and what's um, appropriate for patients with that type of cancer is that either they're resectable or not, or sometimes they're, they can be cut out with preceding chemo radiation. And PDT can be an adjuvant, meaning an add-on therapy where you can downstage the tumor such that the surgeon then has less lung to cut out. Where it's not utilized typically is you know, stage four disease, meaning cancer that's spread beyond the lung. It shouldn't be used in small cell unless you're using it for debridement where you're trying to reopen or patent uh, an airway. Um, beyond having an obvious, what do you call porphyria, um, there's no absolute contraindications to photodynamic therapy unless you have um, a certain allergen to the photomer or you have a porphyria, meaning a, a certain genetic disorder. Um, you know, it really comes down to a carefully planned multifaceted or disciplinary approach to these patients and knowing that this is an add-on therapy, not a therapy of its own, unless all other options are, you know, not available. Meaning a patient can have recurrent cancer and they have outlived their total amount of radiation that they can have within a lifetime. So radiation is off the plate. If you have a localized tumor, Chemotherapy is typically not the first line of therapy because you don't use a systemic treatment for a localized problem. And sometimes surgery is not available because you're taking out a lot of lung for something that's proximal, meaning closer to the upper airway that is not amenable to surgery. And so that's where photodynamic therapy plays a role. Um, but again, stage four cancers, typically not for small cell cancers. It's isolated for non-small cell cancers, localized disease, 
or patients who cannot undergo standards of care, or you want to add on adjuvant PDT to what standard of care. When you first started talking about this and you were talking about the light and everything, and you were talking about kind of light sensitivity and sensitivity to UV rays, it really made me start thinking like, how sensitive are you? Like I've taken medications where you go out in the sun and maybe you get a sunburn, but is like, is this something where they can't leave the house for a while? That, that's correct. Um, very, uh, they're sort of isolated for a good two week time till finally this photomer is metabolized by our body and it's, it's it's rid of naturally but you know during this short term patients are asked to stay out of general light and so it's not ideal in the summer months and if they're driving they have to wear gloves and long sleeve shirts um, they are asked and tasked to wear head garments so that there's shadows essentially cast on every body part because even natural light will activate the photomer um, it's post, what's what we call post-illumination erythema can happen uh, because just natural daylight getting on the knuckles. Um, but we do have an arm patients with gloves to minimize the exposures to ultraviolet wavelengths. But that, that, that's one of our biggest preclusions if patients don't participate, participate in that process of isolation. Really the procedure itself is itself deemed not appropriate. Well, I mean, if I had lung cancer, I think I could make the sacrifice to yeah. stay home for a couple of weeks. Yeah. I could. I mean, it's a lot. I get it. it but is. And I know that you've been using this for a while and, and using it as, a, as a, a research kind of function. Tell me a little bit about how many people have gone through this with you. What kind of research study have you done? We actually um, participate. Our center was involved in uh, resectable disease and non-resectable lung cancer. The study uh, data is coming out here. Um, Journal of Thoracic Medicine here in the next few months um, it's been submitted. And what we did was we had a nodule. A nodule in the lung is a spot. And if it grows, that spot is deemed likely to be cancer. Ideally, this cancer or nodule should be biopsy. So we go through a process where we go down the airway. You don't necessarily see this because the lung tree is 100 generations. So we go out by a GPS catheter out to the spot in the lung and we take a tissue sample of it. Or we go from outside and by a CT guided biopsy through a radiologist and place a needle through the chest wall into the lung and biopsy that spot. When we find out and um, have tissue diagnosis of a non-small cell lung cancer that's potentially resectable, what we enroll patients in was, well, you're gonna have surgery. How about we try photodynamic therapy to see the depth of treatment efficiency or effectiveness and how much does this photomer actually kill the tumor? So we had these stage one patients, um, which meant local disease to a lobe, proven cancer via biopsy, and then they would come back, have the photomer infused, and that day one and three post-infusion, they would undergo, again, navigation, where I take a GPS uh, scope, where I go down the primary airway and then telescope this catheter out to the cancer again. And then through that channel, there's a hole and a tunnel that allows me to take that same catheter that I use on proximal tumors within the airway, navigate it out, telescope it into the tumor, out into the peripheral airway, which is about the 80th generation, and turn on the, the therapy, the light, and illuminate the tumor. 
And then two weeks later, or within 30 days, they undergo standard care resection. The other patients we also did were more proximal airways that could not undergo surgery or radiation and just had PDT alone. I can't share the details quite yet because the, the data is published or being published and has been submitted. Um, but it was extremely positive where we were seeing tumorlytic effects of upwards of 60% regression of the tumor upon cutting out the whole tumor wow. itself. That's amazing. It's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It is absolutely phenomenal. So there are patients out there and with increasing survivorship, uh, you know, with chemotherapy and target-based therapies, uh, you know, patients are surviving to the point they're getting secondary tumors. And sometimes they're not, you know, chemotherapy radiation is not available to them. So this is a potential candidate therapy for these patients. And what was profound, you have objective evidence of lung that you're going to be cut out anyhow, and they underwent the treatment and you're seeing 50 to 60% reduction tumor bulk at the site there. So you're going from a, you know, 14 millimeter metric or three eighths of an inch tumor down to less than a third of that or half of that at the time of resection. You that's know, where things are now. You know, that's where it was right. three years ago as we did this study. Um, right. And we've got additional studies out there. Um, my site isn't current right now regarding any, uh, there's no current PDT trials at this moment, but there are prospective uh, studies ongoing regarding the applications of PDT in different head and neck cancers and lung cancers and the outreach. Even navigation wasn't an option for me when I was growing up through residency and fellowship. That was something new in 2007, now standard of care for targeted therapies. Uh, and targeted biopsies were gotten much better. The role for even just biopsy itself, we were maybe 100% if it was immediately in front of us, then it would drop down to 30 to 60% when it got beyond the visual scope. So, you know, your airways go from 20 millimeters to 16 to uh, eight to three millimeters within three or four generations. So our scope of how what, what we could biopsy and now treat was minimal. And now we're getting out there via robot or a navigational system, a GPS system that allows me to get out to the, treat, uh, the tumor, biopsy it, and treat it at the same time. That's amazing. That's I mean, where that's things are moving. Amazing. That's where things. Yeah, that's yeah. where things are going. Where one anesthetic, you go for biopsy and get treatment. That's phenomenal. I I was gonna ask you if if you're working on anything else or if there's any other like technologies or innovations coming down, but I feel like I would be like disrespecting it because this one is so cool already. <laughs> uh, well, I, I feel lucky to be a pulmonologist. It's exciting in all realms. I know it's about lung cancer, but we're going, you know, boutique targeted therapies for COPD. There's immune therapies for asthma, uh, for lung cancer. We've got targeted therapies, we've got survivorship, eight to 12 years for stage four lung cancer patients. That was unheard wow. of. We've gotten targeted therapies with what was the old Tarceva, where one in six patients did not have side effects. Now I have one in 18 patients or you know, a dozen patients who do have the side effect where it's just become, you know, fourth, fifth generation of targeted therapies for cancer, pulmonary hypertension, where it's a disease of the heart and the vasculature of your lungs, where you have systemic hypertension, where a nurse does a blood pressure cuff measurement, that's systemic hypertension. But there's a disease state called pulmonary vascular or pulmonary arterial hypertension, where the vasculature uh, blood vessels in your lungs are tight. And so there, when I was growing up through residency fellowship, we have IV therapy that to relax the muscles of your blood vessels within your lung. Now that very medicine is in the oral form within 10 years. It's just absolutely spectacular. For asthma, 
you know, we have non-medicinal approaches like bronchial thermoplasty, where we can heat the airway to about uh, the heat of a coffee cup, uh, or a cup of coffee, and it, it denudes the muscle a layer within the airway such that you can't constrict. Unlike the muscles of your arms and legs, when you flex, they flex and they shorten in a longitudinal fashion. A muscle in the airway is circular. When it flexes, it constricts the airway and makes it narrow. We can take a catheter and essentially warm it up to the point where there's cell breakdown of the muscle that it's like rather on uh, parallel, but it's taking a steak where it's raw, fat, big, thick meat. And when you heat up a steak, it thins it, right? Same principle <laughs> right. within the muscles of the airway since that it can't constrict. So that's essentially the, at the cellular level, what's happening with asthma patients is that we're disallowing the lung from constricting. For COPD, we have cryotherapy that's uh, evolving where you freeze the airway and it reduces the mucus glands and the strictures uh, and the, the accumulation of crud in tobacco. It, it, I'm so excited to be a pulmonologist. It's I was just going to say, I can hear the passion and excitement in your voice. And it just, it makes me so happy because you're doing such great work, but you also are loving the work you're doing. So I can't believe we're out of time, but we are. So I have to thank you, Dr. Patel, for joining us today on Let's Finish Cancer for all the great work that you do. We are so appreciative. Um, we look forward to continuing the conversations on whole person approach to cancer care with more experts from Providence in our future episodes. Make sure to listen to all of our shows on Dash Radio under the Future of Health Radio or on your favorite podcast platform. And follow us on social media. We can be found on Twitter and Facebook at Providence and on Instagram under Providence Health Systems. To learn more about our mission programs and services, visit Providence.org. Thanks for listening. And remember, at Providence, we see the life in you.